Good morning, good afternoon. I'm Bill Connor, and if you're joined us today by going to autobottles.com forward slash radio and registered, um, thanks for attending live. For those of you that are listening later, you can go ahead and go to um, your your Apple Cast, Google, and all kinds of other podcasting platforms and go ahead and listen to us um, that way if you're out doing some things. The only disadvantage to that is you won't be able to see our smiling faces. So today I'm gathered here with um, Frank Scandera from Frank's European Service in um, the Vegas area, also known as Frank's Palace, oh, and also Bruce Williams from River's Edge Services up in a Canadian way, and he has a, a nice castle of a business going on up there. So today what we're going to do is, is continue on where we started last week, and we're going to explore what is ahead for shop owners in the next three to five years, plus how that's going to infect affect the processes and maybe even tool changes that are required. So as I said before, we don't have a crystal ball, but there's some really good indications as far as what's going on in the marketplace and, and the trends that it's going to. And these two gentlemen are actually, you know, associated with a lot of different groups. So they, they'll have some valuable feedback for us. So again, Autobottle's job is to go ahead and be the you know, complete shop success solutions for the folks that we partner with us. And we have to help our shops or empower our shops and the motorists to make good decisions. So today's focus is gonna be on process changes and strategies to stay ahead of the competition. So that being said, what I'd like to do is we're gonna break this down into two segments and continue on from where we started last week. And the first section we're going to start into is after the workflow has been understood and implemented in the shop. Maybe even you have a production manager or a dispatcher, you know, they find their way into actually running the shop. Whatever, what other elements do you expect to be important as far as changing coming in the future? So for example, you know, we've got a lot of struggles when it goes on to parts, both pricing, availability, scheduling, and so on. And also productivity, you know, and we've got some changes going on where you know, we started talking about staffing and, and so on. And there even seems to be a shift from switching to fully flag hourly to a combination of maybe hourly and bonuses and so on. So what I'd like you two gentlemen is to go ahead and start out to, you know, go down that path and let's define what you're seeing and where you feel that, you know, this is going. And I guess this time, let's go ahead and start out with Bruce, if that's okay, Bruce. Sure, sounds good. Um, yeah, definitely looking into the future is interesting. And uh, we've been doing a lot of that here as a team in the shop, really focusing on how we're going to retain our customers uh, 5, 10, 15 years ago and how we're going to manage uh, repairing, servicing their vehicles as well. And the biggest part of that, I, I had to increase my front end team to make sure we have enough time to be able to have all those important conversations with our customers. It's part of our process, uh, not talking about tools or equipment. It's just about building that relationship and being very clear of what the customer expects and what also we expect of them and what we're going to do, what kind of conversations we're going to have. And the clearer you are with that, with our customers, we're finding um, you're going to gain their family, the husband, the wife, the kids, and you're going to be in total control of their repair and maintenance procedures on their cars. And that goes all the way down to the exit scheduling, which is the huge part, booking them in for that next appointment. And we're not a hope and pray business model at all anymore. We're a scheduled service model. And so Frank, you want to go ahead and expand on that a little bit? I, yeah, absolutely. So if you don't have a dedicated process for every step of the customer's experience, um, you won't be able to deliver that consistency. And we can all relate to stories of going to a restaurant, for example, where the first time you go is the most fabulous thing that ever happened. Oh my gosh, I can't believe how good the food was. The server was on it. I can't wait to bring my friends. And you go there with your friends, you get another server, and it's a completely different experience. And that's a breakdown in process. So it should be uh, every single person that answers the phone answers the exact same way. Every single time a customer calls for a price, every single person should be giving the exact same uh, value building proposition. 
not the price, the value building proposition, why we are the best shop to deal with at any price. Um, and, and having those processes dialed in allows for faster training for new people. Uh, <clears throat> I was coaching uh, one of my mastermind groups and uh, one of the shop owners talked about the new manager's own way of scheduling appointments. Now they're dealing with that, his process, which is different than the way the shop had it before. And what that does is it creates confusion within. So if you have a dedicated process, whether it, it doesn't matter, it's, it's for every single thing that goes on and you deliver that consistent message to the customer, that's what makes them feel comfortable. That's what has them coming back. Because if Johnny says it one way and Janie says it another way and they don't know well, which is the right way, I, I don't know what to expect. And they may never even be able to vocalize it, but they'll just have an internal feeling. Hey, this doesn't feel right. I'll go find somebody else. So this kind of goes back to what we talked about, you know, last week, as far as, you know, define career paths and so on, you know, each person has to know what they're doing, has to be a process to do it and, and so on. And so do you find that, you know, let's go ahead and take, you know, some of the things that we've had to deal with in the past as, as far as, um, oh, something is as simple as, um, you know, converting that phone call that comes in, you know, to the shop inquiring about your services. Do we handle that a lot differently than we do now? Do we control the conversation do it differently? Or do we say yes to everybody that actually calls on the phone? Or do we go ahead and instead of saying yes, do we go ahead and substitute maybe I can and tell them what we can do for them? Who's that, Chris? <clears throat> yeah, sure, definitely. Um... Qualifying your customers, 100%. Having that, that real conversation, like you said, this is what we can do for you. This is what we can't do for you. Sometimes customers are not a customer for you. Sometimes customers for somebody else. But taking the time to have that conversation with them instead of just saying, yeah, sure, bring it down. We'll check it out. We'll look at this. We'll do that. Explaining the value that you can deliver for them, uh, regardless of the repair will pique their interest and want them, they'll want to come and actually see your facility and meet you face to face and get a feel of the, of what your shop looks like and your systems and procedures for sure. And not only that, it's important to communicate your process. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's like you can hear any one of my advisors saying we are a digital shop. We're going to uh, do a thorough inspection. We're going to be sending you pictures and links to information so you can make an informed decision and setting that up right out of the gate and, and letting people know this is why I need your uh, cell phone number. This is why I need your email address, right? Because we're like 100% email and, and cell phone uh, capture rate for that reason, because it's part of our process and uh, qualifying a customer is so critical. You know, we, we used to be the, we can do it all shop. Nobody's better than us. So when that guy would call up and say, Hey man, you know, I, I tried to fix my car and it's all apart. I can't do it. Can you help me out? Yep. Cause we're the best that we can do it all. And then you end up in an absolute nightmare um, that you accidentally got married to when you were drunk and you can't get out of the relationship now. Right. And it'll cost you a million dollars. So uh, qualifying, each individual situation based on your model is critical to not only your success, but the quality of service you can give to customers who are less vocal, right? Because, you know, if, if we look at the, you know, our, here's our range of customers from zero to hundred, the bottom 20 are the troublemakers that constantly suck the life out of us. The top 20 are the most profitable. And the ones we seldom pay attention to because they're the quietest. The ages go away. They never say a word. You think about them a year or two later. Ever, I wonder whatever happened to so-and-so. And these bottom 20, we just constantly fight with. So by creating those processes, having those set standards, this is how we do it. This is what we do. And, you know, an older car comes in, it's X number of dollars to work on your car to get an evaluation of what's going on. It's our initial testing process. And that's right out of the gate. We want to make sure you understand we're not going to check it out and then roll that fee into the repair. Okay. We're going to honestly test document and give you a list of everything we find, um, especially with pictures. 
Absolutely. So basically to sum up what you said there is you're not going to be the hero shop that's going to go ahead and, you know, put yourself in a position to solve everybody's problem on the planet. You, you're going to be the type of shop that will go ahead and listen to a customer's concern. And if they're coming here talking about another shop or two or three places that have looked at it, you might be somewhere along the lines of saying that, you know, hey, you know what, based on what you're telling me right now, we can go ahead and, and actually do some tests on your car, determine what's going on, but we're going to have to charge you for it. And by the way, I don't know those shops very well, but I don't hear a lot of bad about them. So they probably eliminated all the easy stuff. Therefore, I need X number of dollars to start with. Are you okay with that? So you're taking, your, you're taking yourself completely out of being the hero. And you've really learned over the years that heroes don't get paid that well. You know, you watch the news and so on, they get abused quite often. So, you know, you don't want to be the hero. You want to actually, you know, be a, a, somebody that's profitable so you can support your staff. So, well, let me put it this way. I want to go from hero to professional. This is how a professional shop operates. And, you know, and it's in our, in all of our documentation. When I put an ad out for technician, we are a professional European service facility. And, and I think that's important. And I think that helps attract the right people internally and externally. So let's go ahead and go back here a little bit is, you know, I, I monitor a lot of forums and I know you guys do also. And there's this big debate going on in the marketplace right now about customers bringing their own parts. Do I mark parts up? Can I mark them up like I used to? Do I have to go ahead and not mark them up at all and just charge for labor? You know, any thoughts on where you think the industry might be going al along those lines? I have an opinion on that. Um what a surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, listen, we don't sell parts and pieces, right? Good customers don't buy brake pads and rotors. Good customers buy trust. And that's what my goal is to, to build that relationship of trust. So when I have a line item on the repair order that says perform complete brake service on the front wheels, which includes blah, 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 blah and a total price for that is listed, not $19 for a brake pad sensor, not $16 for the brake cleaning kit, not $99 for the brake pads. And, and that builds value, right? And then our warranties build value. Um, parts, uh, quality problems are an enormous issue. There are so many counterfeit parts coming across. Um, and, and we even have to be careful. We got stuck with a set of counterfeit um, Ignition coils for Jaguar, you know, put the coils in, send the car down the road, comes in with a back coil. A couple of weeks later, comes in with another back coil. And then we said, you know what, let's just replace them all. And then we see the same boxes. They came in the same box and looked nearly identical, but they were so obvious side by side that now we're more cautious on what we're doing. So anybody who's bringing their own parts in it, they're, they're buying uh, race to the bottom parts the cheapest they can find. And a lot of our suppliers can't even uh, filter out all of the counterfeit parts coming through. So when it comes to installing the parts on the customer's car, I am the professional. I have done the research. I have vetted the vendors. I have vetted the suppliers. I take full responsibility for everything I recommend on your car. And you have to mar mark it up, mark it up accordingly. So um, Bruce, but you notice, you but you notice I never said markup. I never talked about that. Nope. It's all it's part, not, it's part all, of the overall mix. Right. What's the value I bring to the table? How, you know, doesn't it give you peace of mind, Mr. Jones, that for the next three years or 36,000 miles, no matter where you are in the country, if you have a problem with one of the parts I installed, here's a toll-free number, get it resolved. So parts have a, a direct impact on, on everything that goes on in the shop as far as availability and so on, Bruce. So, you know, what do you see changing, you know, actually impacting, you know, the shop? Are you having to put people in loaner cars for an extended period of time? You have to go ahead and order parts in advance and have the customer prepay so you can get them in on your schedule and not have 50 cars waiting on your lot for parts. You know, what, what are you seeing changing on that front? Uh, so far, we haven't felt the uh, part supply shortage um, with what we're doing here in my area anyway. But that being said, we do 
pre-write all the work orders, pre-order all the parts all the time, make sure everything's here for my technician to be able to be efficient, not standing around going, where's my parts? We have a very organized part system that works seamlessly. Um, so we're not really seeing that, but the key is, like we are talking about earlier, having the proper process in place so it's repeatable all the time and it's what's expected, 100%, which we, we've got a policy. We do not let customers bring their own parts, period. Every time I've gotten loose with that, it's bitten me in the ass, 100%. So it's just period, no. Yeah, never fails. Only quality parts. Uh, we're being an Napa Auto Pro up here in Canada, which is like an Napa Auto Care in the States. We use their gold level or better parts, period. I will not put in a sub-level part. I will not put in any of their uh, entry-level line parts. That's not what we are. We're not the budget place. We are like exactly what Frank says. This is the value we're given. This is the process. This is um, the brake job that we performed on your vehicle, and it's X amount, and that's what it is. You know, it's simple analogy. You get a guy to build you a fence. He doesn't break it down in cost of nails, cost of lumber, cost of his lunch, all that. It's he gives you a package price. It's two thousand dollars. I'm going to build the fence, and you're either going to see the value in that service or you're not. And that's what we supply as well. Just exactly what Frank's saying. This is the value that we're given. It's going to cost this much. And customers are super happy when they leave here with the complete process all the way through, especially with the digital uh, updates all along the pictures and then the exit scheduling, they're like, absolutely. I can't believe how many customers still have no idea that automotive shops do digital inspections. When we have our new customers, they're completely blown away. Instantly yeah. they're a Facebook fan and yeah. instantly they're given reviews that are five stars. And they always so, refer to the pictures. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that the future really starts today, this afternoon, as we go back into our shops. So when we look around at what's going on in the marketplace right now, we drive by car dealerships and there's no cars in the lot and, you know, the used car prices are going through the roof. Is there anything we can use about that situation to put ourselves in a better place in the marketplace right now? You got any ideas on how we could start using that this afternoon? Well, marketing, uh, the value of your used car and maintaining it well, because you can't just go and buy a new one, like you said, as easily as you could before. So keep that car, save money, keep it in tip top shape, and you don't have to worry about the shortages of cars and all the dealership lots. It's cheaper to keep her, right? So, um, and another angle on that is we're seeing more and more parts being discontinued. Forget the parts that are hard to get that are going to be hitting the market again soon. I'm seeing, you know, I used to be able to get parts for late 90s, early 2000 Mercedes, BMWs all the time. Uh, a friend of mine's looking for a speed sensor. He, he teaches at a local college here for BMW transmission. The speedometer doesn't work. No longer supplied, no longer available. Speed sensor for speedometer. I mean, how complicated is that? And, and, and I think the manufacturers are just cutting their cost of the bone by not maintaining the inventory in these other parts anymore. And the little part of me, the cynical part, and you know, the conspiracy part, thinks that this is a ply to get older cars off the road. Right. Because the cars that are on the road today, and I'm sure it's the same in Canada, are the oldest they've ever been in the history of this customer. Somewhere between 11 and 12 years old average. That's pretty deep. So people are keeping their cars longer because they're, they're better and um, putting more money into it. So how do we get those cars off the road and get you into a new car? I just won't make the parts available. So this is really the opportune time in our, our life cycle in the industry. I know you guys have been around a long time like I have to go ahead and actually coach the customer and say, look, let's do a condition-based inspection. Let's get everything done up to date on your car. Whatever's broken, let's fix it before parts on these things are discontinued or we can't get them or whatever. Let's keep this vehicle on the road as long as we can so you don't have to you know, be waiting for them to manufacture one. Who knows if Ford's going to get enough chips to go and put in their cars that are all staged all over, you know, the parking lots just sitting everywhere. So, and other manufacturers are going through the same thing. So isn't this a good thing when we start talking to customers about maintenance, talk to them about the convenience of having a service while it's in the, in the shop today. And also here's why, you know, to protect your investment, to make sure we get the parts now and so on. 
and, and let them go out and look at the price of cars. They'll, they'll come back with absolute sticker shock. It's mind boggling how expensive cars are today. Expensive to the point where now they've got six and seven year financing options. I mean, it's like a mortgage on a house, right? You should pay off your house in 15 years. You're going to finance your car for seven. That's crazy. It's just people are doing it. I know. Um, I'm, I'm the weirdo. I'm the no debt guy. If you can't afford to pay for it, you can't afford to have it. But um, it's just absolutely mind boggling what people are faced with when it comes to purchasing a car, if it's available. So I like the idea of <clears throat> educating our customers. We do it all the time. What's your intended use for the car? How long do you plan to keep it? You know, what's your future look like? Well, I, you know, I want to fix it up because my kid's going to be driving in a couple of years. I want them to drive it. Okay, let's make sure that car is safe. Or, you know what? I got a big bonus coming in end of the year. I'm going to dump this turd as soon as I can. Okay, well, let's do what you have to do right now. <clears throat> Help and them so that, prioritize. And so that comes back to what we're talking about is these defined career paths. So if we have a service advisor that's properly trained, to understand the things that they've got to learn from the customer when they drop off their vehicle or as they're building them relationships. And that goes back to what Bruce was saying earlier, the relationships is actually a key to success. And um, you know, when you build a good, strong relationship with um, customers, you find that not only they'll refer family members, friends, and so on, but people really associate with people just like them. So if they're good people, they associate with good people. And if they're, you know, what do we call maybe the price shoppers or, or the ones that cause the um, most amount of difficulties, um, they tend to associate with people just like them also? 100%. Um, you know, I've learned over time is how a few uh, bad customers come through and everybody's like, well, we got to take care of them because what if they're going to, you know, bad mouth what happened or they're going to spread the word? Well, guess who they're spreading it to? Bad people. <laughs> Bad people and people that aren't our customers anyway. Yeah, and we birds of a feather. Like Frank was saying, you're focusing on those 20% or 10% that cause you stress and grief. Just put a little bit of that energy into your good customers and you'll never have to worry about those bad customers again. Yeah, and Jen put in, it's always, what if they leave a bad review? Well, what yeah. if they do? It's a great opportunity to write the review, not to respond to the person writing it, but to respond to the person reading it. Hey, I'm so sorry you had a bad experience. If you'd have stopped by and give us an opportunity to fix it, you would have seen how we shine and the way we'd step all over ourselves to take care of our customers. We have this outstanding warranty and, and just go on right down on the line, right? To build yourself up. Because um, most shops have a really good reputation, right? There's a few bad apples, but for the most part, we have a good reputation. We need those occasional bad reviews. Number one, to remind us we're not perfect. We got to make sure we're aware of what's going on to get better at reading customers, right? Because the customer that comes in and bad mouths, the last nine shops they were at, you're next. And yes. if you think you can overcome that, you're crazy. Um, and then, you know, and just shine. So, so what if they leave a bad review? Oh, well, even though I so, take bad reviews very personally, it hurts. I think everybody does. So, but the job of, of a, a shop owner or any business owner for that matter is to take that adversity and turn it into an opportunity. So um, Bruce, um, when you respond to reviews, good or bad, do you have a tendency to go ahead and, and you know, if it's a bad review, do you just kind of take ownership of it and ask them to contact you directly or what would be your thought process on it? Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Um, I respond personally, ask them to contact the shop or when the best time that I could actually have a face-to-face -face conversation with them to see if we can resolve whatever issue there was and, uh, and move forward. And out of, I think we've maybe had three bad reviews in the last year, not one of them has ever contacted me back. They never do. They, they don't actually want to talk to you. They just want right. to bitch about it online because it's their safe place that they can say whatever they want. Yeah. Cyber bullies. Yep. And as far as the positive reviews, we always respond um, thanking them for their trust and also respond in it, which is key, is the year make and model of the vehicle and what kind of repair we did. Because on the back end of Google My Business, that's a huge driver of uh, proper reviews and getting you to the top of the page. So that's it, I really found out this last year, it really helps to say thank you very much for bringing in your 
2015 Ford F-150 for us to take care of the tune-up or the brakes or whatever. Put those keywords in, it's like SEO in the back of uh, your reviews. So that's a process somebody could go back to the shop today and start implementing. And it's very easy to do. And it has a good return on investment over time for sure. Huge. It's free. And don't be scared of the occasional bad review. You want to turn it into opportunity by letting people know that might trip across it, that you really care about your customers and that you're looking to solve it rather than, um, you know, just leave it, stay out there and not responded to. Absolutely. Even when I'm, I'm looking at products online or whatever, when I look at reviews and they're bad, I always read why and how. And if some the company has responded in a positive way, I can take that with a grain of salt. And I can understand that there's two sides to every story. So it's definitely That's, responding is the key. There's three sides to every story. His, <laughs> hers, and somewhere in the middle is the truth. <laughs> and, and it's not that somebody's lying. It's their perception of the events. So when we talk about productivity, we know there's a shortage of, of, you know, staff out there in the marketplace. And we also see shops all the way across the country that their productivity for their employees is a lot lower than what it should be. So what processes can we change in the shop to go ahead and actually get productivity up? I know that, you know, making sure they're not doing um, repair orders that are, are $200 a piece because, I don't think that you could even afford in a professional shop environment to write a $200 repair order anymore. Um, so what are some things that they could take back to their shop and do to, you know, work on increasing that productivity and, you know, bearing in mind that at a certain point in time, we may all be forced into, you know, hourly plus bonus pay structures. Well, I know like I, I mentioned before about, um, the simple thing like a part structure, but it's right from start to finish being service advisor, being prepared, pre-writing uh, work orders, getting as much information from the customer as possible, looking at all their deferred work, talking to them about it. What kind of add-on can you do today? You know, you're in, hey, John, you're in for breaks today, but I know you're only about a thousand kilometers away from doing your next oil service. Why don't we do the oil service today while it's here as well? Saves you another trip back to the shop. And in the back end, it actually adds another hour to our labor in the back, which now the, my tech only has to do two jobs instead of three or four jobs that day. So really taking the time to look at all the potential service, deferred service, and having a good conversation. Now you actually have a, a repair package that you have for the customer instead of just these one little hope and pray repairs. You've actually educated them on the service and you've got extra hours. Like, you know, we just finished tire season, but still our ARO is almost 700 bucks uh, repair order. And we're, we're shoot for a thousand all summer long. And we're not far off that for sure. And I'm sure Frank's like that as well. Because like you said, you cannot afford to do a $200 repair order now with it. everything that's about cost overheads now. You can't do those all day long and be efficient. If you are fixing broken cars and uh, that's your focus, you're not going to have a high ARO. You're not going to have a high customer satisfaction. And I, I know shops, I see them on Facebook and, it, and it, it blows my mind. We don't do oil changes. It's a waste of time. Are doing their customers an enormous disservice. Enormous. So, you know, a, a sound process is every car gets inspected. Every inspection gets estimated every estimate gets presented to the motorist. It's not your money. It's not your business. It's not your problem. It is the, it's your moral obligation to notify them of everything that's going on with that car right from the first visit too. You know, uh, if, if you're afraid to tell the motorist what you discovered on the car in the first visit, hire somebody who's not, and it'll change your business. And this is how you put out high quality work and this is how you put out good ARO. Um, that's a great ARO. Is that Canadian or US, by the way? $700, probably Canadian. But it's a great, great ARO for uh, general repair, right? We're, we're hovering around 12, 1300 uh, for a Euro shop, which is pretty standard for Euro. And <clears throat> you are not doing a customer any favors. Uh, 
if you don't tell them about that hose that's a little, maybe a little swollen or a little bubble in it, oh, I'll just tell them next time. And they forgot to tell you or didn't think it was any of your business. Well, I'm going to go see grandma 300 miles away through the desert. And they break down and a hose burst. And a tow truck driver says, you know, if you had your car service on a regular basis, they would have seen that. Oh, yeah. Well, I just had it. And why didn't he tell me? Oh, I didn't want you to get mad at me for telling you need a bunch of work. Well, now I'm mad at you because I just blew up my engine. And the key is having that drop-off conversation. Like you said earlier, Frank, we are going to inspect your car when it's in today. And I'll be going over that inspection with you and advising you. That's like I said before, we're not service writers. We have advisors. We're advising you of any repairs or maintenance that's upcoming. And then the customer can choose whether whatever they want to do with that. But if you haven't, like Frank says, if you haven't given them all the information, shame on you. Give them all the information and let them decide. It's their money. It's fine. Then your conscience is clean. I've told the customer everything they need. If they choose not to do it, that's okay. And man, it takes so much stress. It, I know it took so much stress off me once I really started focusing on that. Give them 100%. I don't care if the list is four pages long. Doesn't matter. That's yeah. okay. And now the customer gets to decide what they want to do with their property that they own and their money. And if they choose to get it all fixed, that's great. We'll take care of it. And we'll keep taking care of them in the future. And I know a lot of shops are scared. Oh, I don't want to scare them away. They think I'm fishing, but it's about the, you got to have that conversation up front. So it's not a fishing expedition at all. It's you telling them, not even asking them. You can't ask, can I do an inspection? You're telling them, this is what our shop does. This is our process. Hey, let me tell and you, the guy. Say, I don't want you to do that. I actually have one customer. It's like, yeah. I don't want you to inspect anything. Okay. Well, well come well. in. You... Yeah. Yeah. I have Talk one of my. Road. Do that yeah. for you, no problem. True story. One of my service advisors let a customer say, don't inspect my car. I just want the oil change. And my technicians know, come get me right away if a service advisor temporarily loses their mind and lets a car come in without an inspection. So I go down there and this BMW is covered in oil underneath. And of course, this is one of those, I'm going to wait for my oil change guy so that I can pull out of here and said, hey, it never leaked oil before you changed it. Brought him back, says, look, this, this thing's soaking wet with oil. We're going to, I know you said you didn't want inspection, but we're going to perform a complete inspection on this car so you know what's going on. And, and, and I firmly believe people who don't want an inspection want to blame you for what's next on their car. I, I, I firmly believe that. Hey, you yeah. want to get to uh, Jen's question, Bill? <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. And why don't you go ahead and address that if you would, Frank? Sure. Jen, how do you guys handle comebacks? Uh, here we are boasting about being professional shop and the customer has to come back for the same thing. First thing, um, I have a written process for return work as well. And it's very important that the customer has the impression that, oh my gosh, we're going to get right on it and see what's going on. I care that much. Um, but let me start off by saying the worst comeback is the one that doesn't. Okay. The worst comeback is the one that doesn't. It's the customer who leaves disappointed for whatever reason goes great. Here we go again. Just another shop doesn't know what you're doing and off they go to somebody else. So the fact that you have a car coming back is your opportunity to shine with the customer and then determine why it came back. In my shop is one of four reasons a car comes back. Parts failure, service advisor failure, technician failure, customer failure, right? So if the parts failed, all right, that's not too hard to overcome. That's what the warranty is for and do what we have to do to make it right. Um, did the service advisor fail? Did he not write down on a repair order everything the customer said? Did he not present everything on the inspection to the customer? Um, did he not explain that, hey, your check engine light was on. We found a code for the oxygen sensor. I have to replace this first and drive the car. Be prepared. The light may come on if there's an underlying problem. Because customers don't know the O2 sensor is used to test other components, right? They don't know that. So nothing can be tested. And they've been driving around for eight months with the light on. So that's customer education. And it's, maybe it's just the customer's expectations, right? Hey, I brought it in for the check engine light. And it should never come on again for as long as I own the car. What did you do to my car? You guys ever since, right? So we need a process for quality control, number one. Test drive the cars, number two. Get the boomerang out of the back seat before you cut it loose, number three. And then you can help cut down on those uh, comebacks. But when a customer's perception is, I've brought it back for the same thing. Uh, 
we didn't verify it correctly. The bad part, something happened. So if that's happening a lot in your shop, you got to zero in, right? Uh, and determine one of the most common comebacks is noises. If you don't have somebody getting in a car and verifying a noise with a customer before they leave, you're opening the door for not fixing the noise the customer hears for fixing the noise and you're going to fix the noise the technician hears. Period. So what can you do to prevent it from coming back? That's That's got to be your focus and be grateful it comes back. Show excitement to the customer, show appreciation. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to make this right. And that's exactly correct. Treat it as an opportunity. So let's wrap this first section up and, and kind of review here. You know, we've, we've determined relationships with the, the customer is key. There has to be a process for everything that goes on in the shop if there's not. And as Frank would um, spell out here, it, it probably needs to be a written process. So that way it doesn't get deviated from. Um, we have to explain the process to our staff and also the customer. And then if you explain your process to the customer, you better damn sure live up to it. And the next thing is, is don't be a hero. So, you know, those are, are what we have from that. And what I'd like to do is move on to a second part here and focus more on, you know, what is you see is, is going on with the customer motorist, true motorist um, interactions for now and in the future, maybe related to pickup and delivery. Do we need to pick up their vehicles and get them back to them? Um, you know, what are we doing to communicate with the customer? Do they need to be able to communicate directly from, you, from your website to the internal chat? Um, how about online estimate approvals? So these are all things that are, are changing and morphing into the industry. So, you know, why don't we go ahead and, and expand on some of them a little bit? A um, couple of things that we implemented, um, obviously due to COVID, um, text to pay, contactless pickup and drop off. Um, the only thing that we're working on right now we haven't fully got is our, um, our diagnostic checklist sheets. I'm trying to make them digital right on my website so the customer can go in just like if you have to fill out something for the doctor or dentist. You can go right on the website, fill it in and submit it and it comes through electronically. That's our next step we're in the process of building right now. Um, just due to, due to COVID, contactless and finding it actually convenient for customers. You're like, oh, I can pick my car up at eight o'clock tonight, perfect. Keys will be in lockbox number whatever, here's the code, <clears throat> to pay uh, payment. So those are a couple of things that we've implemented this year for sure that really help. So are things like uh, loaner cars and, you know, um, the need to go ahead and be able to schedule Uber drives for your customers and stuff, are these all things that are happening and being driven by the consumer or is, is this just by COVID and now we're just trying to make sure they stay in effect afterwards for the convenience factor? So, so I'm weird. I was doing all that stuff before the pandemic, right? And it's because I always want to find a way to be, um, to be able to deliver an exceptional experience to the customer. And we were picking up and dropping off cars for years. We were locking, back in the old days, you used to be able to lock a key in the car. Right now with smart keys, it won't let you do it on some cars. So uh, that's when we got the little lockbox out there. Your locker number's three. Here's your code. Um, go ahead and retrieve your key. And <clears throat> COVID just helped get that message across to more people for us, right? So that when, when it became, well, here's an option for you that you may not know that we've always been doing. And uh, it allowed us to not have to explain why we don't want you waiting in the lobby anymore. We've always been against waiters. And, you know, the fact is customers waiting for their car, whether they're standing in front of my service advisor saying the car's been out in the parking lot for five minutes, you haven't looked at it yet, or they're at home or they're at work or they're at the grocery store or at the movies, no matter where they are, they're waiting for their car. So we want to make it as comfortable as possible for them. And, and we're not afraid to tell them, you know, an oil change takes between three and five hours. I'll put you down for five. You don't want to wait here for five hours, but why does it take so long? Let's go over it again. It's going to get a complete inspection. It's going to get the service performed. If there's any service needs, I'm going to make you aware of it. Uh, the car's got to get washed, vacuumed, and cleaned the windows. Uh, it gets test driven by the technician. Then I have a final test drive by my quality control technician just to make sure everything's okay. So that's our process, and, and that's why it takes so long. So, you know, our digital process has always been to go ahead and send the inspection results to the customer after the estimate is completed. 
And we see a lot of shops out there due to the different new POS systems out there sending the inspection results and the online approval for the estimate at the same time. What do you think about that practice? Is that, <laughs> you got a definite opinion there, Frank? <laughs> yeah, so um, our estimates tend to be very large. It's not uncommon to have a three or $4,000 estimate. So if you present the customer with blah, 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 $900, blah, 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 $1,200, blah, 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 $67, blah, 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 $92. They're looking at the numbers. They're, they're going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I need to do. Oh, wiper blades, I understand that. Let me approve that. So what I've learned is <clears throat> it's more important to continue to review the inspection with them. Do you see the picture? Do you see where the arrow is? Do you see this picture? Do you see where the circle is? Do you see this picture? Do you see where... This is where it's leaking. This is where it's broken. This is where it's fuzzy. This is where it's not fuzzy. Um, then I can present them. And let me just tell you, if, if we did everything, it'd be $6,250. Well, I can't do everything. No, no, no. I didn't think you could, but let me, let's go over it and see what we really need to do now. Right. So I'm giving the customer an opportunity to digest what I said. I'm giving them an entire estimate. Because anybody who says, well, the fan belts are $190, the brake pads are $299, and this is that, and this is that, and <clears throat> never gives them a total, they'll remember one or two numbers, and they'll come in, and they'll see that $1,200 bill and go, man, I, th I thought it was like $299. What happened here? I didn't approve all that. So, again, the process with the motorist. Then, after all of that, well, we will approve, and we use shopware, and we will approve what the customer approved on the phone, then send it to them so they can have an eye on it and review it. Otherwise, it's too confusing. In my opinion, we're taking away that value building, that relationship building by reviewing and answering questions live. Do you do, you do the same thing, Bruce? Um, would you ever consider sending the estimate along with the inspection result or you do it the same way? You wanna have a consultation with the customer, answer their questions and then you know, provide them with pricing type information. Uh, we do exactly same way. Yeah, full send the inspection, monitor when they've looked at it uh, through the auto vitals, and then call them, go through it with them, make sure they fully understand, and then we present the estimate to get the repair done. Same thing as a package price. And then package exactly what Frank said, yeah. it's like, oh, we can't afford that. What do I really need to do? Then we get to continue that conversation. I would never just sending the inspection and the estimate at the same time. I totally 100% agree with Frank and it's happened. They get confused. They start looking at the items instead. And it doesn't take very long before they start ignoring everything else because they're overloaded. Go through the inspection. They don't need to know the price or anything. They need to know. You need to advise them of their health of their vehicle. And that's what you're doing. You're going through it. So they really understand that. And at the end, the price might be only 568 bucks or it might be 5,600 bucks. That's irrelevant once they understand the importance of what's needed to be done on their car. So one of the other industry trends that we see going on right now is, is you know, it's harder to get techs, it's hard to get them to work on all makes and all models. So we get into this, you know, these companies investing heavily in remote diagnostic tools or they've got mobile groups out there. Do you see these as a, a viable tool for shops that, that don't have certain specialists on hand or is this just a fad? You know, are, are these big companies investing, you know, in, in the wrong area right now? Um, in our community anyway, we're having to invest in all the OE scanners and tools, et cetera. But we are also uh, pursuing attaching to the online diagnostics as well, because we can't have every single option in our toolbox. Like we're profitable, but we're not that profitable. <laughs> Over time, we, we eventually get it. But um, yeah, these these online, it, the companies, there's a few of them out there for sure that you buy the J tool and they just log right in and they can help you through every step of the way. And it's part of a, the kind of membership type um, system. And I see the future going that way a lot more for sure. And so, and also not just for programming, for also <clears throat> diagnosing and, and, and performing online tests. Yeah, exactly. So there's two aspects to that. Like Bruce said, hey, this car needs this module that I diagnosed programmed. 
And then you've got that, you know, every once in a while, and it'll happen to us, was, you know, it's like, this doesn't make sense. I should have this resolved based on these results in this test. And um, so you need help, right? And, and it's like having a business coach. You don't know what you don't know until you hear it from somebody else. And another pair of eyes is usually exactly what you need. So I, I don't know that they're too early. Um, I know there's going to be some big changes coming in. If you haven't seen it, the FTC, uh, Federal Trade Commission, is coming down on manufacturers pretty hard about not sharing information. Um, the manufacturers have failed. And this is across the board, whether it's computers, telephones, or cars, or toasters. They failed across the board to adequate, adequately uh, demonstrate why an independent service provider cannot do the service repair properly. All right. One, one example in the article I read was fabulous. Uh, well, it's because our batteries are glued in and you have to have special tools to break the glue. And the FTC's response was, well, why did you design a computer with a glued in battery? Why don't you just have a battery pack that can be easily replaced by the consumer? So they were, so it's like they were people, the manufacturers are intentionally designing their products to be difficult to repair, requiring special tools and special software, trying to lock us out. So there's going to be some very substantial changes coming down in a few years. So uh, we do need to be ready for that. And so on the inspection, we always is talking about the inspection is the condition of vehicle before any work is done. Now we're getting into these highly complex repairs and services. Do you find yourself going ahead and using pictures, photos, video, and stuff on the repair order section to further demonstrate or build value into what we're doing for the customer? Always did. From the very beginning, that was a critical aspect of it. Always did. Um, we take screenshots of the scanner screen. We take screenshots of the picoscope. We take screenshots of the digital voltimeter. We take pictures of everything so the customer sees what we're doing. We've got to justify all the money they're spending, right? Oh, I read the codes. So it's uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's an O2 sensor. Maybe. Could be. Let's try one. No. Here's the test that determined why it's not the O2 sensor. It's, you know, X, Y, or Z. <clears throat> so uh, I, that's a critical aspect. Shops who are not using that feature are missing out on a great opportunity to build value. 100%. Uh, we, we do the four C's, the cause or the concern, cause, correction, and confirmation. And it's all labeled, not just on the inspection side, but exactly what you said, Bill, on the repair. You know, our diagnostic procedure too that we performed and it'll say everything we did in there. And like Frank said, all the pictures of the scopes before and after testing, con confirming that that will, did repair it. So there's no questions after, you know, they don't just get a work order that says, here's $800 and we diagnose your car. They get the full package. They understand 100% what they got. You know, and it kind of reminds me of, uh, of, of a scenario, right? Well, your car is fixed, $800. What'd you do? Well, I fixed it. <laughs> right. Well, I, people want a little more than that. They want to really know what's going on. Uh, that quality control process also helps in that. We have mandatory pictures on our QC, under hood, instrument cluster, uh, key on engine off, key on engine running, right? So, hey, man, you give me my car back with the check engine light. No, no, we didn't. Here it is. Or, hey, it failed QC and a service advisor didn't pick it up, right? Because my QC guy, his job is to fail every car he QCs. Find, I don't care. You, your job is to find something wrong. And it could very well be, you know, car's got a vibration. We've made the motorist aware it needs engine mounts and he declined them, but it's still a failed QC because the car's not perfect. Right. So it's, it's, you've got to have those pictures. You've got to, got to, got to have, them. you're just, you're missing out if you don't. So your advice, if anybody says that <laughs> I want to go back to my inspection report and I want to go ahead and put the pictures of the changes on that inspection report would be don't do it it's a trick put them on a repair order and then use that to go and show value and so in the past you know it wasn't uncommon for you know especially your highline european owners to go to their work and brag and say hey you know i just dumped you know thirty five hundred dollars in my beamer you know good job high five now it, now you can they can just go ahead and send a copy of their work order with all the things that were done to them so um 
And the same thing with shops that do a lot of custom repairs to go ahead and actually document disassembly, reassembly, you know, show them pictures of the old parts next to the new parts. It might take a few seconds to do that, but as far as building value and demonstrating value to the consumer, that's actually a, a huge part of, of what we need to do to not only make them more comfortable, but maybe they'll share it with a friend, coworker, family member, or so on. And that's very effective too. And, and my guys will do that, especially when, you know, that we had a, a drive shaft that had like a carrier bearing on it that just destroyed that bearing was just destroyed. And it was really, really, really dramatic between the old and the new. And he did that. He took the picture of the old one and the new one. You know, if there's, if there's not a dramatic difference, well, don't, right. Don't take a picture of an old alternator to new alternator. If the old alternator doesn't look like it's been on a car for 7 million years. So Auto Vitals, when it comes to retention, we've been repurposing the inspection results, you know, on that next reminder for the customer, along with pictures, notes, video, and so on. Is there anything else that we can leverage them things for to go ahead and actually put the customer, even somebody that's searching for, you know, repairs, maybe they've never been to your shop. Is there anything we can use those results for to further go ahead and leverage them? That's above my pay scale. So but for I, example, but I like that. It, it's a great idea. If somebody's doing a search with the picture of a like problem being corrected at my shop, be available. Was that what you're? Yep. Yeah, so can we cool. repurpose them? So, you know, maybe they're searching for a, you know, a timing belt on a Mini Cooper or a, a timing chain on a Mini Cooper, and you're <laughs> showing them where you successfully done it and, you know, pictures of maybe disassembly, reassembly or whatever. So instead of just reviews, we're sending them reviews maybe that are on people just like them or at least serving up the information. And again, you know, what I'm looking for is, you know, what can we already use that we have today to go ahead and further give you guys a, a unique value position in the marketplace? That's very interesting. I like that. Except the Mini Cooper example, that might cause other people to bring in more Mini Coopers. Oh, right. But they're an opportunity. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. You know, when you can buy a car for three or $4,000 and then the first time you bring it in, it needs $11,000 worth of work. You know why you bought that car for three grand. So it's kind of, kind of hard to uh, help people, you know, watch grown men and women cry, you know, but you would still exercise your exact same shop policy. Everything Absolutely. gets inspected, it gets yeah. estimated and gets presented. So mm -hmm. um, that, yeah. that's all, all good. So anything else related to shop processes you're seeing change, obviously, you know, we've got to continue to have written policies. You know, we've got to go ahead and excite the customer and, you know, deliver value to them in every way we can through communications and visuals. Uh, anything else related to, actually, one of the things that we didn't touch on is when it comes to productivity, you know, we've got this shift of pay structures that some states are actually doing to where it's got to be hourly and then you can have other bonuses. Do you see that happening? And do you know of ways that we can prepare in advance in case it does happen? Well, I can quickly touch just from our experience. In Canada, we're almost 100% hourly anyway. Uh, we, the only ones that are flat rate are dealers. So I've only operated in independent and I've always paid my guys hourly. I pay them well. And there is bonus structures on top of... Uh, um, the expectations that we can do for sure. Um, but we pay our guys really well. So I, I don't really have much more to input to that because I know in the States, a lot of people, a lot of shops are all uh, flat rate. So. And I think there, we need to prepare for it now. Right. Uh, I, I think it takes a lot of pressure off um, technicians because, you know, so there's two sides, right. As a shop owner, if I pay them hourly and there's no work, I'll go broke. And what I should be thinking is if I pay them hourly and there's no work, why isn't there any work? What have I done wrong? What am I doing wrong to not have work in a shop? Training on the front counter, marketing, whatever the case may be. Um, and then from, you know, from a technician's point of view, it, at least he knows I can pay rent and buy hot dogs just if I show up. And if I do a really good job, I can buy a house and buy steaks. So, and, and that's the mindset I'd like to deliver. Um, you know, what can I do to help you understand? 
here's some basic survival money. But this is where I need you to be. And then you can decide if that person should be staying in, a, in the organization or not, right? If you got a guy that can only flag 30 hours a week, he's in late every day, leaves early every day, you need to sit down and have a chat with him. Say, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? Uh, you know, I'm worried about you when you're not here on time. Did you get in a wreck? Is something going on? You know, your team's counting on you. The customers are counting on you to be here for the workload. Something wrong, right? Well, you know, boss, I, I just didn't get up in time. Okay, well, this is something we need to work on. I had one guy get, you know, real emotional with me and says, I have to take my kids to school. I can't get here at eight o'clock. I said, well, you know what? We can work with that. Well, I'm not going to, you know, have you drop your kids off at a locked gate and hope nobody snatches them before the school opens. Let's, let's, let's work on that schedule. Let's be uh, a little flexible. But uh, and those of you who don't know, you cannot pay your technicians a salary. Do not pay them a salary. Could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and overdue uh, overtime fees. You have to pay them hourly. You have to track their hours and you have to pay them overtime and their bonuses have to be calculated in the overtime. So uh, that might be another show, Bill, if you want to go over that another time, how to do that. Got some ideas for that, but uh, very important to be compliant with the federal laws. So the interesting thing is, is that, you know, when I get into discussion with this on many forums over this same exact topic is there's no better time to start planning for this than now. There probably will be a point in time because we'll be driven to because of the availability of or the in in availability of employees to go ahead and be hourly, but to go ahead and be able to make sure that production and sales and gross profits, all these things are all tracked where we can actually you know, again, it goes back to we want to offer these guys a cradle to the grave career path and different things that have to happen in the shop. So that way, you know, they always know what's going on, what can come next, depending on where they want to get off the merry-go-round and, um, you know, just create good, solid opportunities for those in the industry. So we got about two minutes left. So, um, Bruce, if you want to go ahead and, you know, give us your takeaways, if you'd like to have uh, people go ahead and remember and, and maybe even go back to their shop and start working on today? Well, the biggest things is advice I can give is set up a concrete process, start to finish in your shop. And which we didn't really touch on, which ties into everything is measure. If you can't measure, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't know if you're making money, losing money, helping customers, advising, you've got to measure. And we have so many tools available with, through auto vitals um, and also structure. Uh, we structure morning meetings, weekly meetings, monthly meetings. Most times the monthly meetings, we get to just chat because things have run so smooth. But our morning meetings every day are set up with expectations, how we did yesterday, how, what we're expecting today, all our customers are lined up. Here we go, let's get it done. And everybody just pumped up. When the technicians are seeing their numbers, what they produced and it's all in a group, they're, they're challenging each other, even we're hourly, but they're challenging each other and the whole team lifts up and everybody does better. So measure, 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 know what your shop's doing. Can't manage what you don't measure. Absolutely Frank, correct. If you would go ahead and um, kind of give us your wrap. Yeah, so a total agreement with Bruce. Not only does it have to be written down, everybody has to know where it's written. They have to have access to it and have to know if I have a question, I go here first. I don't go running over to Frank's office and go, hey, what do I do again if X, Y, Z, right? It's, we had a, a, one of our guys got bumped in the rear by another car. For whatever reason, we didn't tell him what to do in case of an accident. So he writes, he takes a picture of the guy's driver's license and comes back to the shop. No phone number, no insurance company information, nothing. And we're like, how the heck did we miss that, right? So that's why it's so important to have those little details where people can find the information. There's a lot of free tools online. doesn't have to be complicated. doesn't have to be 97,000 page three ring binder, but it's got to be where it's repeatable. And then when another employee comes in, here's my chart. Okay, here, read this process here, read this, read this, read this, read this, read this, read this. Oh, you read it all. Okay, sign here that you read it all. So now when you get an accident, you didn't get the information. I go, wait a minute, man. You told me you read that. You signed it. Now it's on you, not me. So it's got to be measurable. It's got to be available. 
It's got to be written down. If it's not written down, it's not going to be consistent. And if you didn't write it down, you didn't say it. That's my rule. Awesome. So once again, I'd like to thank you guys for participating. I hope to go ahead and have you on again really soon. I'd like to encourage people to go to autovitals.com forward slash radio and go ahead and register. And also, if you would, find somebody else in your area, another shop owner that may maybe have um, some struggles that they need to overcome and invite them to go ahead and, um, you know, take um, some of the, uh, well, we're 123 episodes. There's a lot of wisdom in there that they can use to help themselves out in their shop. And again, if you don't want to go ahead and, and view our smiling faces, um, you know, download the podcast from Google Cast and, um, you know, Apple, Apple Cast and so on. And um, go ahead and listen to it when you're on a bicycle ride or riding your Harley or, or whatever else it might be. So once again, I'd like to thank you guys. Lots of great information. I'm sure we'll get it posted on the different forums and get it dissected a little bit. And, um, you know, for everybody else, go out there and make some money and, and share your experiences with other shop owners that maybe could use some advice. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you, guys. Thanks again, Bill. Good to nice, see you. Nice we'll to see you, Bruce. Time. Yep.